You guys will turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving us your word. It's alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide between the soul and the spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's what you tell us. We pray that that would happen here, God, as we study it and we learn about you, that you would come alive and you would begin to speak to hearts. You would guide us and shepherd us you would bring down strongholds in our minds and in the world around us, God. And let us even come alive to the spiritual world around us and the condition of our hearts, God. If our hearts are far from you, God, may we draw near. If our hearts are broken, may you mend them. God, we have need. Uh, we want families, kids, and moms and dads to be restored together. We want um, the, the things that you say in the word are going to happen. We're, we're uh, looking at those promises. We see them, but all, not all of them have come to pass. And so we await on you, God, to bring all of them to pass. And we just pray that you would teach us now through the Holy Spirit. Open up our eyes to see this Bible. Not just to see it for the words, but to see it as your word speaking to us. All right, so um, if you had gone with us through the first introductory study of Ephesians. I talked a little bit about that, and I'll always kind of remind us if we have some gaps in between about who the Ephesians were and what God was doing in their life and what God had to speak to them to get them on track. Different people groups have different needs, really, and God sees those needs, and he uses men like Paul the Apostle, like it says in verse 1, he's Paul. The apostle is a, a, an apostle is somebody who's called by God to establish or spearhead a work of God where there wasn't one. And he does this through these guys in the Bible. And they're pretty incredible. God gives them incredible power and the ability. And um, he's with them in special ways. But... You know what? He's with us today the same way. The God, the Holy Spirit, lives in each and every believer, and we have access to God right away. There is no mediator between man and God except Jesus. There's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. We stopped at verse um, 7. We were talking about the redemption all right, we're going to talk. We're going to pick back up there at the redemption in verse seven, and um, we begin by talking about what redemption means and what redemption through the blood of Jesus means. And so, let's read uh, the scripture again. You always want to read the scripture um, and then go back and explain it. If you don't, then you're not having a real Bible study. All right. So, verse seven: In Him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. 
in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We'll be looking at those verses tonight, but looking back at verse 7, it's through him, it's in Jesus, we have redemption, and we, we talked about that. We, uh, redemption has the idea of God buying us out of slavery. God paying a price, the price for our sin. You see, we're like slaves who are in a cage because of our choices. You guys have ever been there, you know? You, your choices got you to a place in your life where you felt trapped and you felt like you were bound by the enemy. You were bound by sin. You were bound by your choices and you had nowhere to go. Well, Jesus sees that and he sees where you're at. And when you get to a point in that cage, you cry out to him and say, Jesus, please free me. He will. And it happens through forgiveness. You see, unforgiveness is a, is a um, prison. It's a prison that you have the key to. And you can unlock it by calling out upon him. But we, we won't do it because of our pride or whatever reason there is. We don't have clarity. We don't have an understanding of what we need. Then God begins to show us you need him. There is one way out of it, and it's through Jesus. And we begin to call on him, and he, there, there's that key. It's that calling out upon him. God, save me. God, open up the door. And so God opens up the door and pays the price. See, it doesn't just, it doesn't just open freely and automatically. There was a penalty. that The reason why we were in that box was because of the consequences of sin. And that's something that we can't escape from. Not even God can escape from it. But he knew the way he had to pay the price. So he died on the cross so he could pay the price. The blood is the price. And that is the key, right? That's the authority. And, and now we're out of the box. We've trusted in him. We've called upon him. And he said, I, I did. I paid the price for you. You're out. Sometimes, though, we like to stay in the box. Don't you think? It's like the, the story of that little bird who's uh, so used to his cage that, you know, and this happens with, I think, a lot of birds, different species of birds, that they don't even bother trying to fly out of the cage, even if the cage is open, because they get used to the cage. You guys know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've actually got to that point in your life, and you're just comfortable in the cage. Because it's harder to try new things or harder to trust the Lord. And we like our old life. And we stay stuck in our old life. We don't want to move out of it. In Him is the, is the title of the whole study of Ephesians. Right? Because we're going from the beginning of Ephesians to the end. And would you guys know that in this Bible study of through Ephesians, through the whole book of Ephesians... There's 27 different times it says in him. 
So when you're in that cage, you're not in him. You're in somebody else's cage, but you're not in him. Being in him has a totally different concept. Being in him is being in a relationship or being in the family of God. When God invites you into his family, say, well, you know, isn't everybody part of the family of God? Actually, that's a big misconception. Everybody is creation. Everybody's created by God. And God has, and, and he talks about this, predestined us. He's created us for a, a de- destination, heaven. And he's put eternity in our hearts. So we seek, we automatically seek him. But sometimes that becomes distorted and we start seeking another God. We take things that God can only fill that spot in your heart, that empty part of your heart. Start trying to fill it with drugs or alcohol or whatever it is. And it becomes a little God in your life, like an idol. And, and it works for a while, but then you have to keep going back to it. It becomes destructive and it never satisfied. You see, God, a true relationship satisfied. I'm not saying that you're perfect immediately, but a true relationship satisfied. You can always go back to him and the consequences of that relationship are only good. See, the consequences of our relationships with, with other gods, false gods, if you will, of drugs, alcohol, relationships, whatever it is, anything that is put before God, the, the, the consequences of those are destructive. But the consequences of a relationship with God, they're not. And so it totally is a game changer. And, I, and it's, not, it's not always easy. It's not always... Um, you know, mountaintops and flying in the clouds. It's uh, a lot of times, a lot of warfare, a lot of hardship sometimes. And that's why Paul writes in Timothy, he says to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And he encourages us and tells us that we are caught up in the warfare of this world, but take heed because I've overcome the world. That's his promise. Take heed, I've overcome the world. So we're talking about redemption, and it's redemption in his blood, or through his blood. Um, I, I was looking this up and studying this a little bit. So, you know, the, the function, right? So we didn't know about blood. Humans didn't know a whole lot about blood till the early 1600s, 1615, a doctor named William Harvey. Imagine... Uh, going to a doctor in the 1600s. Sometimes we, we think, you know, we go to a doctor or something and we think, man, I don't think this guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> well, it, you know, back in the 1600s, they didn't know a whole lot. They were barely learning about the blood, what is in the blood. But people from every um, nation, every culture have a curiosity about blood and and so this guy William Harvey he discovered a lot of the properties and qualities of blood what's in blood and and really what he discovered is something that the Bible has been saying all along that life is in the blood life is found in the blood but all people have different ceremonies or different uh, blood rites and different things like that among different uh, tribal people and different 
groups of people. They, they recognize there's something special about blood, but, um, and, and this is something that is, even before science ever proved that there was life in the blood, but there's a, there's a fear or a feeling of awe or reverence you know, when, when there's some sort of blood, blood sacrifices, like something, you know, you see out there in, in the movies or something. But, but a lot of people groups have done blood, blood sacrifices. And, and what they were trying to do is, is trying to do something God's way, their own way, though. They knew that somehow there's life in this blood. And, and, and I remember the, the story I was talking about this the other day with some, some of the fellows here about... Um, First Kings chapter 18, where the false prophets of Baal were um, challenging the prophet of God, Elijah, and they were up on Mount Carmel. And he was saying that whosoever's God is, is the real God is going to light the fire. And so the prophets of Baal were cutting themselves and doing a uh, kind of a blood offering, if you will. They were poking themselves and causing blood to be let out. And then that they were thinking that that will please the gods, right? The the little gods, and Elijah is like, no, that's not that's not the real God. The real God, watch you. You can have a relationship. You can talk to him. And he talked to him. God, you know, show them who you are. And boom, the fire came down and and took the the um, the sacrifice. And they he, they showed him this is what the real God does. The real God, he shed his blood. You can't shed your blood. The real God, he shed his blood. He showed us and paved the way. And so um, that, that's how it is even in the New Testament. There is uh, blood. There's power in the blood. You, you know what I always thought was funny? What I saw in the movies and that what maybe uh, I thought about trying whenever I was young is, you know, when you do that blood, you know, blood, we're blood brothers. Right? And you like, they, they like cut their hand or something and they... And then they rub that, that blood together, you know, and like, hey, we're blood brothers for life. You guys ever do that? No, good. Yeah. There's nobody sick out there like me. <laughs> All right, I already did that. Well, look, I mean, obviously we won't do that now because there's like, you know, uh, uh, HIV and stuff like that. I don't know what you I don't know where you've been, you know. But <laughs> the Lord, He. He did that blood sacrifice for us. He made us part of the family of God through his blood. He welcomed us in through the blood. So the Hebrew and Old Testament customs were, there, there's a lot of superstition about that. And so that's why the, uh, the, the different people would do um, human blood transfers, you know, and make like covenants like that. Well, we don't need to do that anymore. We, we have pens and legal terms and, you know, stuff. So, um, eating blood, that was another thing. I mean, that's prohibited, especially human blood. There's very strict um, guidelines according to the Bible where you couldn't um, have any kind of blood in the animal. They, they had to drain it for a certain amount of days and, and it had to be prepared and stuff. So, um, you know, it was taken pretty serious. The point is, guys, that it's through the blood of Jesus that we have redemption. There's life in the blood of Jesus, and there's forgiveness of sins in the blood of Jesus, and it's according to the riches of His grace. Now, grace, I've heard this term, I don't know if you guys have ever heard it, but a way to explain grace is God's 
riches at Christ's expense. Right? You want to write that down. Write that down. God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, these are not riches that are human riches. These are riches that are Christ. They're riches that are in heaven. You see, God doesn't care nothing about the riches that we have in this world. The riches that we have in this world, they, they, they make wings. You guys ever have a lot of money at one point and then, and then all of a sudden, riches, I'll tell you what, investing in the kingdom of God, you'll never get that taken from you. You'll never get that taken from you. You can never go wrong when you choose Jesus. And so we have to remember grace. God's given us a whole lot of grace. You're experiencing and living off of the grace of God right now. And, and, and sometimes we get confused. And one of the, the worst things that can happen to a person is when God is working in their life and they're thankful, but they lose that thankfulness. They lose that attitude of gratitude and selfishness and sin take back over. And we are no longer living off of grace, but we're living in, in just our own flesh. And, and, and we lose that attitude of gratitude. And we say, well, you know, thanks for the grace, God, but now I don't need it. You see, no matter how much you have or how little you have, you'll always need the grace of God because it's only by the grace of God you have what you have. And, and that's, that's a, a warning, you know, to not trust in your own flesh, to not trust in your own uh, riches, to not trust in your own things that you have built, but to trust in Jesus, to trust in the grace of God, realizing that everything that you have, whether it's a lot or a little, that it's from God himself. And if you're faithful in a little bit, he'll give you even more. But if you're unfaithful, the, the stewardship teaching tells us that he won't, he won't continue to trust you with more if you're not taking care of what he's giving you currently. Now we can go back to being thankful. We can choose by faith to recognize grace. I have grace in my life and what I have, I have by him. And so, you know, going back to uh, verse 8 there, it says, He made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. That's another thing that comes up often in the book of Ephesians is the mystery of his will. There's a lot of things that are mysterious in life that happen, and, and we sometimes make it a little too superstitious, but, but it, it, there is still that air of mystery. Why am I here? The will of God is really why we have questions. God, why would you have us do this? Why would you have me doing that? Why would you call me to do this? Those are things, and you have the mystery of the will of God, and you're saying, I, I don't know, but apparently God's in control. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like God's not in control, but He is in control. His will will be done. There's nothing that leaves His, his desk unchecked, if you will. Um, I want to have you guys turn to Acts chapter 20 uh, to look at, you know, The beginning of the church, you know, Paul established the church of Ephesus and he spent three years with them. 
And he poured into them and he gave them everything that they needed. The Ephesian church at this point was the most powerful church. Not the church in Jerusalem, but the Ephesian church. Um, and it's because they, they were living in where the, um, a great spiritual world of conflict. The city that the, that of Ephesus was a very evil and wicked place. And God was working powerfully because of that. So there, there's this where grace abounds, where evil abounds, grace abounds much more. You see that happening in the scripture where there's a lot of evil. God, God is working too. And God, you know, evil is never going to win. And they lived in the temple of Diana, where the temple of Diana, or the Greeks would call her Artemis. And that's where you kind of get the idea of Cupid, because she had the, the arrow, you know, and pink, you know, and all of a sudden you're in love. Well, Diana, you know, or Artemis was the, the goddess who represents love, but it's actually not love, it's, it's lust. The god of lust is what we're, they were living. So they lived in this, this world filled with lust. I was driving on the freeway the other day and I saw lust kills, God saves. You guys seen that one? It's on the freeway there all the time. And then they have all these other billboards that are lustful billboards meant to solicit lust. And, and so you have this conflict still uh, on the, um, in the world around us where God is here, you have this choice, and you have the God of lust, the God of Diana, and, and, and uh, the God of Diana is uh, lustfully calling out and soliciting men and women. You see, it's, it's not just one or the other. It's lust, and it's not just sexual lust, but it's lust for things that don't belong to you, right? So it could be anything, but often it is sexual lust we have to be aware of that and so paul paul was aware of that and paul was aware of how the attacks come against the, the church there and he wanted to prepare them so it came time in acts chapter 20 that paul was going to be leaving he had poured into them his job was to go and establish more churches and to go and, and do more ministry i mean this is a powerful man of god his job was over there he was leaving it in their hands so let's read from verse 17 from Miletus, that's a city near Ephesus. He called the, uh, to the Ephesians, he called to the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, and picture this, they're on a beach, right? They're on a beach setting and, and the ships are going to be taking off and he's going to give them their last orders. He said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia and what manner I always lived among you serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. So a lot of bad stuff had happened to him. And he had been through many different trials. You guys, that's just evidence right there that even great men of God have a lot of bad things happen to them. Tears and trials. If it's for the man of God there, what would we expect? Don't be surprised at the fiery trial which is supposed to try you. And he, he tells them, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. So, you know, more or less, the, the church in those days was a church house setting. So, and, and that was very common and that's how they did church. They had a bunch of different houses and they met in their house and they had church there. 
And that's completely biblical. And you have some of the house church people who are like, oh, that's the only way you're supposed to do church. Like, that is, that is a way to do church. And, and it's a good way, and there's nothing wrong with it. And if you want to do it that way, then do it. And it's great. You know? And God is, God is big enough to handle it all. There's not one way. But that's a way, and it's a good way. And it's a biblical way. So they went from house to house, but then they would have general meetings. They, I mean, there was a lot of confusion that would set in. There was a lot of false teaching, and they had to gather together and, and to, to make um, sure that they stood against false teaching. So, so they had to form more powerful groups of, of churches to be able to fight against false teaching and the heresy. So um, he went house to house, proclaimed and taught Jesus, and that's how you do it, guys. You, you teach Jesus in the home. And he testifies to Jews and to Greeks. Paul's a Jew, so he would go to the synagogue. He would go to the Greeks in the marketplace. But he was proclaiming one God. Not many different ways, but one way. Jesus, Jesus' way. He says it was repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus. A lot of people have a health and wealth and a prosperity gospel and all sorts of different stuff like hey if you follow jesus you'll get rich you know if you follow jesus he's gonna take everything and make it upright and you're gonna never have any problems and they make all these promises that are just not biblical and they're just not right to, to put false hope you gotta you gotta know the truth you gotta know that that you and me we're, we're soldiers we're we're equipping up and we have the truth and we want to march to the truth but we don't want to be ignorant. We don't want to be ignorant of Satan's schemes. And we don't want to be ignorant of the, the reality that the world at large rejects Christ. And because you have a, a relationship with Christ, you may feel rejected at some point. But also realize God is going to give you greater victories than you would ever have in your life. He's already given you greater victory than you've ever had and that you ever would have seen. If we had kept doing it our way, we would definitely end our life faster than we should have because that's where sin gets us. It gets us in a mess and Jesus gets us out of a mess. But when you start walking, don't be surprised if you have fiery trials. And so he, he proclaims his faith. You need faith to walk with Jesus you see, if you're not walking with Jesus, you don't really need faith. You could just say, I believe in him, but you're not really walking in him. You could say, and people do it all the time. I believe in Jesus, but they're not really living out the faith that Jesus has called us to live and to trust. And so he says, see, now I go out bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. So he's telling the Ephesians this thing. I, I, the Spirit of God has bound him. So uh, you talk about, you know, the, that the enemy bound, binds us while well, the Lord will bind us too. Sometimes we don't want to go or sometimes we, we, we don't want to do something and God says, well, guess what? Now you have to. He'll put you in a straitjacket. That's what I think of in a, when, he, uh, when he says that the Spirit bound him. I think of God's pulling out his spiritual straitjacket and just putting you in it and says, all right, crazy guy, now you got to go. He was probably really enjoying 
the ministry there in Ephesus and all the success that they were seeing. But see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. And that's a scary thing to go to some place that you don't know what's going to happen. You never met anybody. It's a scary thing. But, but, you know, if you have faith in Jesus, the faith is like the shield of faith that will extinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked one. That's part of the armor of God, right? So faith will extinguish those fiery darts. You won't have fear, but you'll go forward knowing that you have a covering and a protection. That faith, that shield of faith will keep you uh, going forward. It's like having faith because you know you're tethered in. You guys know if you ever walk up and get up on a building and you're tethered in, that it's much easier to peek over the side of the building when you're tethered in than when you're uh, just free and, and looking over a ladder or looking over the side and, and you start imagining yourself falling and splatting on the ground, right? No, when you're tethered in, it's like, hey, yeah, just, that's what it is to have faith. You're tethered in. You have confidence. You can move forward. You can say, oh, God told me to go forward. I have faith. And, and you, you march forward. But if you don't have faith, you feel untethered. And, and a lot of fear comes in and you begin to get your boat rocked and you start thinking, I'm going to drown or uh, something bad's going to happen to me because, because faith is a shield. Faith protects you because you believe and, and it's the best thing in the world. So something's going to happen to Paul. The Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really like the idea of going to all sorts of different places where chains and tribulations await me. I like to go to places where they don't await me. Okay? <laughs> How about you guys? You like to go to places where you're going to get locked up? Hey, yeah, let's go over there to get locked up. But Paul's a little local. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't think right. <laughs> but he's following the Lord. And he's like, oh, man, I'm ready to get locked up. And the reason why is because the Spirit of God is moving me there. I'm bound. I don't even have a choice. I'm going to go there. And none of these things move me in verse 24. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. Because he's like, I died a long time ago. When I came alive in Jesus, the old me died. My life is over. I'm living off of grace now. Nothing can move me from what God has set me on. None of these things move me. I don't even count my life dear to myself, but I want to finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus so I can testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And that's so good. It's good if you can get that kind of faith and you, you have that kind of faith. Nothing is going to stop you. There, there's no, no man. There's no person that can... If somebody can rob your faith from you, then it isn't real faith. If, if somebody in, in the church can hurt you, or if somebody in the uh, family can hurt you, putting your faith in the wrong person. Because faith in Jesus can't be moved. That doesn't mean that we're not weak and that we stumble and fall, but Jesus will hold us up. And we've got to turn back and continue to put our eyes on him. It's not his fault that we're all messed up down here. <laughs> but it's his fault that we're saved from all that. So we got to put our eyes on him. All right, so 
we're wrapping it up here and we're, we're moving into the last part of Acts 20. He wants to finish his race with joy. Now, a lot of us, we have, uh, if you're in the U-turn ministry, you have two months commitment, eight months commitment. And it's almost like you have that, that time, it's a race. And you know, all right, you know, I have a race at this point and then a different race can begin or whatever it is that you take on. But you, you wanna try to run that race and, and then get through it and finish well. What I see happen a lot of times is at the end of our race, we start to stumble because we're burning ourselves out saying, all right, I'm, I'm cruising along really fast here. But you, you have to meter yourself and you have to not get ahead of God, not get ahead of yourself and just go at the pace at which God will allow you to and do it in his strength and not in your own strength. And, and you will have joy because you did it God's way. You know what's so disappointing? When I figure out how weak I am. I'm like, wow, I really did that. Or wow, I'm really that weak. And you're like, man, I can't believe I'm that weak. And then, and then you, you realize, I, I just, I've always been that weak. Any victory that I've had, it's come from the Lord. And then you're like, oh, I got to go back to doing that. Because I, I keep putting faith in myself and I keep falling short. And that's what happens. That's, that's the normal thing that we do. We fall short and then God says, hey, shorty. Not, not to me. He doesn't tell me that. But no. Hey, shorty, you're falling short. <laughs> you got to reach forward and trust in me now. Quit trusting in yourself. Oh, yeah. And then you have joy. I want to finish my race with joy. I've seen believers, real believers, and they're smiling as they're dying. What? I'm like blown away. They're like, I, I know I'm going to see the Lord. And I can only pray that I will have that grace and I'll have that kind of faith if it's my time to go. And I and I, I would I would know that I'm going to heaven. Do you know? Do you know where you would go if you were to die tomorrow or tonight? I know. The Bible says these things are written so that you could know. You can have assurance. You don't have to be wondering, I don't know if I'm going today. If your trust is in Jesus, hey, your life, your old life is over. You have a new life in Jesus. You have eternal life. And it starts right now. Eternal life doesn't start when you die. Eternal life, the Bible tells us over and over, starts the moment you receive Jesus Christ. That's so great. Because I was so afraid and so scared something was going to happen to me and I wasn't going to get another chance. And now if God's speaking to you, you know. You need to not trust in anything but Him. Alright, so the last part's here. He, he says, Indeed, I know that none of you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. So he's leaving his friends in Ephesus. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. All right, that's really important to know right there. He spent that time and he taught them and he didn't hold back anything. Um, he gave them the whole counsel of God. 
A lot of times we like to read parts of the Bible, and when we read a part of it, we say, we read that one single thing and we think, my whole life revolves around that. And, and we don't know anything about any other parts of the Bible, and you build what they call a doctrine. You build your whole doctrine around one thing, and, and you got to look at the whole council. What does the whole Bible say about that? Because sometimes we'll build up a whole doctrine, or there's whole churches built up about around one thing, and they'll lose the whole context. And, and, and all of a sudden, um, there, something's falling apart, or some part of your, light's fall, your life is falling apart because you don't have the whole counsel of God. I think it's really wonderful that the Bible calls itself a counselor. The best counsel comes from the Word of God. When we counsel each other and we give each other our opinions, well, I don't know, opinions, man, everybody has an opinion, right? But those opinions are yours. What really matters is God's opinion. And God has given very clear opinions on what followers of Jesus should be like, what they should do and what they shouldn't do, and where they should go and where they shouldn't go and things like that. And there's a lot of grace in that, right? But he, he, he defines it and says there's limits to these things and you should follow them so that way you can be one of my people. And sometimes we read some of the stuff in the Word of God say, well, I don't like that. So I'm not going to do that, but I like the other part here, right? And, and so... You can't expect to be blessed if you're only going to do one part of it. The, God, the Bible says to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. If you're going to be a doer of the word, that means you're going to be obedient to all of it. That's why Paul taught them the whole counsel of God. I think often we like to compromise so that way we can just say, uh, I'm not there on that one yet. And, and But we're left wondering, why we're not having victory. And then, God, it's your fault. Well, I don't know if this God thing's working. Don't blame God. It's us, right? If we're not doing things God's way, we say, well, this God thing's not working, and you get mad at God. I don't know, God. He's like, well, remember that thing I was showing you, or I was telling you, but you don't want to do it? Well, you kind of have to do it. Well, but God, I don't like that. Well, who really is God? Right? If we're God, then, hey, there you go. Go for it, little God. Go for it, little G. <laughs> right? But if God is God, who are we to instruct him? God, let me tell you what really works for, well for people in life. Oh, do tell. <laughs> Did you die? No. Did you send your son? No. Did you shed your blood? No. Well, then we instruct God sometimes and we miss out on the obedience. There's a, there's a, a, a book called The Blessing of Obedience that I often go back to. There's all sorts of different shows of power and you see people and they have, you know, hey, let's lay hands and heal this person and do this and that and all that stuff is great. And I love all that, all the different gifts of the Holy Spirit. I love all of that. But what is really powerful is when a man or a woman of God is just obedient to God no matter what. There's real power in that. There's real victory in that. 
and, and, and God will give you a rich, full life. And whether you experience power, moves of God or not, you'll know I'm being obedient to God. And he'll bless you in even greater ways. The blessing of obedience. Remember that. So he purchased us with his own blood and he gives us the whole counsel and he gives us the way. He gives us the, the outline. My people, this is what you should do. This is how I want you to be. He gave that to, to them in Acts. And, and he, was, he, he went on to tell them, I know what's going to happen after I leave. Savage wolves are going to come in and try to tear you apart. They're going to try and get you to turn on each other. That's what always happens, guys. That savage wolves try to come in. The devil comes in and tries to get you guys to turn on each other. Because if he can't stop you from the outside, he'll want to get inside and tear apart the work of God in your life. Don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. Stand up for what's right. Stand up for what's good. Let the Lord have his glory in the midst of your life and those around you. You know what happened, man, to Ephesians. They had this powerful, powerful work of God going on. And they took their eyes off the Lord, though. And they started falling away. And they started missing some things. And, and Jesus ends up talking to them in the book of Revelation. And turn to the book of Revelation in chapter 2. Notice in verse 1, if you guys are there. Revelation chapter 2, he, the angel of the church in Ephesus. It's the same church, the same people, the same group of people. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, these things says, He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, right? Who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. So he's telling me, there's some, there's good qualities about you in, in people in Ephesus. You, you stand up for the things of God. You've tested those. You can't bear evil. And those who are false apostles, you, you've not allowed them to, to prosper. And you have persevered and have pers uh, patience. And have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So they're doing a lot of things right. Nevertheless, <laughs> imagine if Jesus was evaluating you. Nevertheless, Anthony, <laughs> oh, Pete, Mike, I have this against you. Ooh, you don't want to. You don't want to have that happening when you're in the principal's office, right? And if Jesus is Lord of your life, he'll pull you into the principal's office because we're bad boys sometimes. <laughs> That's okay. God, God, he lovingly corrects us. He chastens those whom he loves. So I have this against you. You have left your first love. Oh, how often this happens. You left your first love. Remember, therefore, when, where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Or else I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So there's something lacking there. There's a lot of good stuff. A lot of the 
the structure of the people there in the church. It's all there structure-wise. Everything is there. All the things that are needed to run a sufficient church, right? To have ministry taking place. It's all there. But what does Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians 13? He says, you can have everything. You can talk with the tongues of angels. You can speak in tongues. You can do power. You can heal people. But guess what? If you don't have love, it's nothing. If you don't have love, it's like a clanging cymbal. Bing, bing. Just making noise here. All that stuff can be happening. And it's just noise to God. I find that very strange that God still allows His power to manifest, but you can still be lacking love. I find that a very strange thing. And, and, I, and I think, though, that the reason why He allows that is because He still is able to love people in spite of us. He's still able to manifest His love to hurting people, through hurting people, even though those hurting people don't realize they're not even really walking with the Lord right. Because He's still showing love to people but he's saying i have this against you and he's calling them out and telling them you need to you need to work on this part here you need to get back to your first love and whenever i read that i think about you know how when a when a little 14 year old or 15 year old boy thinks he he falls in love with this girl and and he's like spending all his coins and stuff and he's just like oh man i just want to i just want to you know show her i love her and stuff but you don't know nothing about love you know but he'll do anything for her all, all that stuff you know you remember that kind of feeling guys yeah or do you wish you remembered that or do you wish that you might one day discover what that really is because you can you can come and find your first real love with Jesus. Because that feeling there is really the feeling that you should have for Jesus. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have that for people. But it's a wonderful feeling when you discover that you have love for Jesus and he has love for you. And, and that you're in the midst of, and that you could really experience real love. And you're like, this is, I, I don't even know if I like this, <laughs> you know. Because it's so real and you're, you're like, this is making me uncomfortable. Because <laughs> we're not used to it. Like, oh, you don't have to run. You can experience real love. You can know what it is. It's a, you, you, you might have thought, that, that's forbidden. You might have thought you found it in, I, I often, uh, why do you think they call it heroin, heroin? Because people think that they found their savior. That's what it, what it is. They, they think they find that Savior. They think they find some, some people I've talked to said, well, I fell in love with the drug. But man, there's nothing like falling in love with the Lord and loving Him and Him loving you. And this is a different kind of love. It's not some mushy little movie love. This is love that moves planets. This is love that moves mountains. This is love that conquers all. This is love that doesn't give up. This is love that doesn't get broken. God's love cannot break. You know, we, we often, I think that's why we are not so sure if we can love God because we, we might break His heart or, or we might let Him down or He might let us down. It doesn't work like that. 
at all. God's love is unbreakable, and you'll never disappoint him because he knows everything. He knows what you're going to do before you ever do it, and he chose to love you anyway. That was God's choice, not yours. He did it. And he says, you know what? What's the, the most important thing is to go back to your first love, to repent. Remember from where you've fallen and go back and do the first works. When I see a person who just comes to faith in Jesus, maybe they've grown up with religion and maybe they've seen Jesus on the cross their whole life and they've went to church and they've done all this stuff, but then they discover now it's time for me to really have a real relationship with Jesus. And, and, and they give their life over to Jesus and all of a sudden, man, nothing can stop that person. They don't even know. Nobody has to tell them anything. They just immediately know that they got to share this love with everybody and, and they're going around and hey you know what i want to pray with you and love and just like uh they're just uh, this heaviness is lifted off of them and, and man that's how we should all be we should always have that our whole life and he says if you if you're forgetting about that you need to go back and do those first works that's what happened to the people in ephesus they 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 let the ministry take over the true reason for the ministry, which was love. You gotta love each other. They gotta show that love. Sometimes love is, is, looks loving. Sometimes love looks like, nowhere. I love you too much to let you do that. There's a lot of different sides to love. You have to love somebody enough to tell them no. And you have to love somebody enough to tell them yes. There's a lot of different aspects to love. But we got to know what love is. I, I like that Charlie Brown uh, little picture where um, Charlie Brown and the, his uh, little girlfriend or whatever she is there. And she's like, Charlie Brown, what is love? Love is Jesus, right? He's just kicking back. Remember that? Have you seen that? It's just that simple. Love is Jesus. And Jesus is revealing himself to us daily. And we get to have a walk with him. And, and don't let anybody take that from you. Don't take your eyes off. Don't get distracted and drawn away from all these things. Where Sometimes, you know, you see those raccoons, man. Have you ever seen a raccoon when a shiny little thing passes by and they're like, bling. Ooh. You know, hey, what's that? Little diamond. Ooh. Yeah. I feel, I feel like a raccoon sometimes when I see a shiny object. Ooh, what's that? I want to go see that. Ooh, I like that. What's that over there? Mike, don't be a raccoon. <laughs> right? Keep your eyes on the prize, the upward call in Christ Jesus. Don't let yourself become loveless. And if you do, and maybe when you do, I should say, because it will happen. Repent and go back and do the first works. Remember what it's like to be a young believer. Uh, one of the most special things I think can happen is our older people and our younger people need to be paired up together. Because the older people will be remembering what it's like to be young, and the younger people will be knowing what it's like to gain wisdom from the older there's a special balance that needs to happen there. We need to honor 
both of those relationships and keep relationships like that alive because we have a lot to offer each other, right? And, and I think there's a good balance that happens in that. Remember, therefore, and repent where you've fallen. And he, he, he says something very striking there. Or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Now that's a, that's a threat. <laughs> he threatens your life really basically there. Like the life of the church really there in Ephesus. Jesus is telling him, if you don't repent, I'm going to take your ability to shine. If you don't repent, I'm going to take your ability to be lit up and you're not going to be used anymore. You're not going to be able to guide. I'm going to give it to a different person. I'm going to give it to a different church. I'm going to give it to a different whatever. Right? So, so God does threaten their very existence. Like, man, I thought God was loving. Yeah, He is. And if we're leading people astray by not being loving, He will extinguish that flame. I heard this guy say today, it was pretty cool. Let me see if I can remember it right. He says, it's one thing to have oil in the lamp, and it's another thing to have the lamp lit. You know what I'm saying? You can have the Lord, but that oil of the Holy Spirit, that reason to live and reason to share, it needs to be lit. And if we're using or abusing that and saying, I, I, I'm better than you, or I know God, you know, or, or you know, God will forgive me, or all these different things that can happen because we don't do things God's way. God will do this. We're going to have your lamp go out for a little bit because you think you're all that. <laughs> we can still relight it, but we're going to humble you for a little while. Man, God does that. He does that. And you're put on the shelf. Like, hey, I'll come back and get you in a little bit when you figure out that you're not, you know, you're not the one who's doing the lighting or the burning. You're just supposed to be a witness. That's what it is to be a light in this world, as a witness, to be a guide to those in the darkness. If you're a humble candle, then be a humble candle. A humble camel provides the same light as a fancy lamp, right? Just be a humble candle. Be available to be used. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget what God saved you from. Don't forget what God's doing in your life. It's by the grace of God that we're here. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, thank you so much for looking on a knucklehead like me. My brothers and sisters here, God, we're, we're grateful for being able to be here without fear. Or there's a lot of things that pull on our mind and our heart and cause us to want to struggle and worry. But you've called us here for a purpose. It's to get to know you. God, I pray, Father, that we don't ever become loveless. I pray, Father, that you would light the flame and that you would ignite us 
that we could be used, that we would be humble enough, that we wouldn't exalt ourselves, we wouldn't think highly of ourselves, but we would exalt you and think highly of you. Jesus, we, we've been brought out of darkness. We've been redeemed. You've paid the price for our sin, for our slavery, for our addiction, for our, our choices. God, you've bought us out of the cage. You've opened it and you've set us free, God. And I pray if there's anybody here still, still in a cage who is not knowing, God, that you're there to set them free, I pray that you would open up their eyes to see that they would have that gift of faith, that you would give them a gift to believe, God. You would open up eyes to see that gift, to receive it fully without anything other than you and them. God, thank you for forgiveness of sins.